Good morning, guys. I think Rich is right, actually. I think his shirt is more expensive than mine. This is a Primark, um, but some of us can pull it off. Anyway, as Richard said, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Aaron. Um, I'm based down at uh, the, uh, our sister church on um, Ashley Road, our sister site, should I say. Um, so if I'm an unfamiliar face to you, that is probably why. Now, some of you will know uh, that at the moment, my, my family and I are going through the process of moving to the UAE, to the United Arab Emirates, um, to, to Abu Dhabi, uh, specifically. Um, and We've, we've been kind of, uh, over the last few years, we've actually been, we felt called uh, to that region, out to the Middle East, and it's been just amazing how God has worked things, and an opportunity has come up with my work to go out there, and, and particularly we've got a heart uh, in the Middle East for the, or in, in, in Abu Dhabi, UAE specifically, a heart for the significant Filipino population who live there, because actually my wife's mum was from the Philippines, so it's fantastic going there. And it kind of, when we, we kind of hang out with the Filipinos, it's almost like being with family. And we've actually uh, connected out there with a church that is based in the, the kind of poorer part of, of Abu Dhabi, if there is a poorer part of Abu Dhabi. Um, and it's, it's where basically all the Filipino and where all the Indian uh, kind of workers live, because actually in Abu Dhabi, the, the, there's a, a very clear kind of class structure. Um, and, and the Filipinos and the Indians do the work that, that basically no one else would want to. So we are hugely excited the way that God has kind of been working things for us and really excited about heading out to the UAE fairly shortly. And in the UAE, it isn't just Filipinos and Indians who live there. The, the population, incredibly, of, of Abu Dhabi is actually only 15% made up of local people, and the rest are, are expat workers, just as I will be. Uh, and one thing I've noticed, when you meet other expats, the first thing they generally tell you about, and the first question you naturally find yourself asking them, is where are you from? Because where you're from tells somebody a lot about who you are. Because different parts of the world have different moral standards and different kind of cultural norms and, and different values. And undoubtedly, where you're from it, it, it has a, a huge effect on what you prize, what you treasure, what you, you see to be as important. And over the, the next few weeks, actually, Matthew is going to be uh, preaching a series about um, cultural understanding, which will be starting next week. So I won't go into that too much. But this last few weeks, we've been asking the question, who am I? Who is it? that God has made me to be. And as we ask this question, one thing that we absolutely have to consider is where do I come from? Because where you come from colours everything. It changes your whole perception of the world. And if I were to ask you this morning, where do you come from? I expect we'd get a few different answers. So I'm sure some people, if I said, where is your home, would say, well, for me, home is Parkstone. There's probably quite a few people who'd say that. And maybe there'd be a few people who say, I don't know, home is, is London. Uh, I think undoubtedly, there'd be at least a couple who would be loud and proud South Africans saying that home is Cape Town or Johannesburg. But I suspect if I asked that question, most of you would probably say, Somewhere on this earth, you, you, you talk about a physical place where, where maybe you, you've lived for a long time or where you've come from. Some joker would probably say Narnia or Middle Earth. There's always one, isn't there? But, but by and large, we'd, we'd say we're, we're from somewhere on this earth, which is, which is interesting because when talking about his followers, when talking about Christians, Jesus actually says something different. In John 2, 
uh, John chapter 2, sorry, verse 15, he says this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And then later in the book of John, in in chapter 15, Jesus goes on to say this. If you belong to the world, it would love you as as, as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Now, of course, every single one of us was born into this world. But what Jesus is saying here is that for those who follow him, he actually takes us out of this world in a kind of in a spiritual sense, obviously not physically, and he offers us a new home. And in fact, this is what it means by the phrase born again. It's a spiritual birth, a spiritual rebirth, whereby you have a new home. You become the kind of, you're born into, you become a citizen of a new kingdom. And just as we've read, this kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, is eternal. It's not going to pass away. It is far, far better than the fallen world that we live in, which actually isn't too difficult to imagine, is it? When you turn on the TV at the moment, particularly, and you see terrorist attacks day in, day out around the world, or, or when you consider the fact that over, sorry, that nearly, sorry, over three billion people, that's nearly half the world's population, are living in poverty. We're quite shielded from that here, but when they say poverty, that means they live on less than one pound fifty per day. In fact, UNICEF reckoned that actually 22,000 children die each day, 22,000 worldwide as a result of poverty. Or another fact that shocked me, half a million people, 500,000 people worldwide are murdered each year. That means there's 500,000 murderers each year. Well, there's probably some who do more than one, but you know what I mean. But you kind of consider this stuff, it, it, it doesn't, you know, it's pretty difficult to deny that we live in a fallen world. It's pretty difficult to deny that something about this world is broken. At the very least, it's easy to imagine somewhere that is better than this. A place where there's no hurt, there's no pain, a place where there's no terror. Presumably it's a place where there's no cyclists. Well, this is what Jesus is offering us in this passage. And given its infinite greatness to the world that we currently inhabit, doesn't it stand to reason that actually, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, that world is where our focus should be. Not on this world, but on his kingdom. His kingdom, which will one day come to earth in all its fullness. The old spiritual world that we live in will pass away, and the physical earth and all of creation will be made new, will be completely restored to its former glory. It's good news. So what is it to be worldly? Well, we've just read in John 2, the description of of worldly, the description of the world, is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So probably 
No great surprises there. And I'm sure we can all bring to mind people who have kind of fallen foul of these things, maybe ourselves. And we can point maybe to the the porn addict or we can point to the person who is so clearly steeped in consumerism and greed and possessions. Or maybe we can think of the kind of the man who just has got so much pride, he can never, ever admit that he's wrong. But the truth is, it's, it's easy to look at people like this and say, they're worldly, I'm not. And, and, and completely miss what Jesus is saying here. Because worldliness is far more subtle than that. Because these things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the, the pride of life, they're not just manifested in the extremes. Because actually, if they were, Jesus wouldn't be describing the world like that. It's quite the opposite. Jesus is describing the world as a place full of that stuff. And, and it, it, He's saying this is the norms, and actually, we ourselves can be so steeped in this stuff that we fail to see it. And I'll tell you how to know whether you're living in a worldly way. is when your life reflects the culture, the values, and the behaviours of the surrounding culture. And you can kid yourself and think, well, I go to church, I give money to charity. People always say that I'm a really nice person and I, you know, I'm always smiling and, and all of that is good stuff. If you're doing that stuff, keep on doing it. Um, but what about the pattern of your life? What is the first and last thought when you get up in the morning or when you go to bed? When all is said and done, if you examine your actions, your thoughts, your inner motives, what is the purpose of your life? Is it to climb the greasy pole and, and kind of achieve financial security? Is it to raise your children to be kind of good, well-rounded adults, to be kind of polite and well-behaved and, 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 and kind of respected? Maybe it's to, you know, the one that certainly tempts me is just to live a simple, comfortable life. If it's any of these things, in fact, if the purpose of your life is anything other than to see Jesus glorified then in some way, you've been snared by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And to be really clear, I don't think there's anyone in this room who can claim that they haven't been. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus, tells us something different. The good news of Jesus is that in his death and in his resurrection, we too are resurrected as citizens of a new kingdom Despite the fact that by our own power, by our own strength, we can do nothing about it, we are still citizens of a new kingdom. And like Jesus, although this world is no longer our home, we have been sent into it as living testimonies. The purpose of our life is the purpose of Jesus' life. We are transformed by the gospel from being worldly, to being witnesses. We're called to proclaim the reality of Jesus and not only with our words, but also with our lives, with our actions, with how we, we are. And this, this last few weeks, we've looked at who we're made to be through what Jesus has done for us. And we've seen that we're called to be worshippers and not idolaters. We've seen that we're called to be sons and daughters, to be children of God and, and not orphans, to be servants and not consumers, to be family members and not individuals. And the ultimate outworking all of this is that we're no longer of this kingdom. Instead, we're witnesses of a kingdom to come. And if, if you've ever been to court in any capacity, uh, then, then you'll know that the sole purpose of a witness is to tell the truth 
as it happened. The truth that the, 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 the world, the things of this world, are fading away. The truth that putting our hope in these things is futile. Our loved ones, our financial security, our health will all let us down. The truth that we are part of the problem, the truth that, the, that those statistics I talked about earlier, they are a result of sin. That's what's called a fallen world, and none of us are innocent. The truth that we need forgiveness for this sin, and we need to be saved from our ultimate destination. The truth that this forgiveness, that this salvation can be found in Jesus and Jesus alone. That he lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve in order to raise us up as worshippers, as sons and daughters, as servants, as family members and as witnesses to him. It's this that we're to proclaim with our words and with our lives. And we see this in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 20, it says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Firstly, we're ambassadors for Christ. Now, an ambassador is somebody who represents another. So if you go to London or any major city, you'll see a whole bunch of of embassies for, for countries uh, around the world. Naturally, these embassies are effectively the, the sovereign property of the country who is represented there. And they, they kind of love this in films, don't they? There's so many films where you've got like, the hero, he's in a kind of strange, unknown country, and he's being chased, and, and the major action, the drama, the big firefight, always happens as he's kind of within touching distance of the embassy, because he wants to get into the embassy, because that place is the place that he'll be safe. That is where his home soil is. And these embassies are headed up by ambassadors, who are representatives for the nation. And like these ambassadors and these embassies, it is our job to bring our kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, to this earth. And of course, the only way that we can do that properly, the only way that we can represent Jesus is to be like him, to do what he did. And what did he do? Well, quite simply, he gave his whole life in service of the purpose of seeing God glorified. And we too as ambassadors must be willing to do the same, to give our whole lives for the mission that Jesus has set out for us. And as it sounds, giving our whole life is not easy. To love our lives like this means that we've got to be ruthless in identifying our worldly thoughts, our worldly attitudes, our worldly behaviours, and we've got to root them out. This is what it is to be a witness. And there's that old saying, isn't there, that 7% of the impact of your communication is is the words you say. Uh, 93% is kind of your body language, your face, your kind of actions and that sort of stuff. In other words, it's it's the way you say it. And um, it's one of those those facts that I've always found a bit weird. I don't know how they got to 7% exactly, but but we'll go with it. And um, the fact is, as a principle, this could not be more true in terms of our witness for Jesus. Because how we live our lives will have far more influence on the people around us than what we say to them. And I'm sure we all know this from experience, but when you see somebody that says one thing, that kind of preaches a message to you, but he lives in a different way, or she lives in a different way, there's nothing less attractive than this. It is, it's hypocrisy, pure and simple. And if you're doing this, 
Actually, the truth is you're not being a witness for Jesus. You might think that you're, you know, you're, you're telling people all about Jesus, but if, if your life doesn't back that up, all you're actually doing is you're turning people away from him. You're making him less attractive. But on the other hand, a life lived for Jesus is, is, it will stand out because the world we live in is, is by its definition worldly. So if we're not, then it will be noticed. And when people see the fruit that comes out of living a life for Jesus, undoubtedly, a life, they'll want it. They'll, they'll see the joy, the, the, the kind of outworkings of it, because it's far greater than the temporary cover, uh, comforts that this world has to offer. And not only this, but if you have integrity in your actions, it, just, it, it goes to add credence to your words, which, which brings us to the next part of the passage. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, if we know Jesus, not only does this compel us to act as though we do, but actually we are also God's instrument to tell the world. He, he makes his, it says here, he makes his appeal through us as we implore others to be reconciled to God. Now, this is really important to tell other people about him because, as I've said, it's only through knowing Jesus that we can receive forgiveness and the salvation that we so desperately need. But, but when we do this, we've got to remember that this is God's appeal. This is God's message. It's not ours, which actually should bring us incredible freedom. Why? Because if we remember that it's Jesus' message not our message that we're bringing, then actually there's far less pressure on us when we bring it. If people choose to accept the appeal that God makes through us, then we've got no room for pride. We can't be, oh, wow, look what I did. Even the greatest evangelism, say Billy Graham, who's seen, I don't know, countless, countless people saved through, through the words that he's spoken, he has no uh, right to take personal pride in this because it's God's appeal. Salvation is a work of grace by Jesus and Jesus alone. But at the same time, on the other side of the coin, if people choose to reject this message, then it's Jesus they're rejecting and not us. Either way, it's not a reflection on us. Our job is to allow God to use us to make this appeal of reconciliation with him. And when we grasp this, it should give us confidence to share the gospel. Not confidence in ourselves, but a confidence in him. And at the same time, when we're telling people about Jesus, we must keep the gospel central. That's a kind of bit of a catchphrase, isn't it? Almost a bingo item, but what what do I mean by that? Well, when we tell people about Jesus, we're not telling them. The primary message isn't Jesus will solve all your worldly problems. The primary message isn't that, that, that... you know, you've got to improve your behaviour. You've got to become more middle class. Or you've got to become more like us. And we're certainly not trying to win an argument with them to be proven to be right. And I think in the age of social media, where, where arguments escalate so quickly, this is <laughs> kind of very relevant because between all of us in this room, I would imagine we have had many arguments. And I think in all of these arguments, I'm, I'm pretty sure that not one of us can ever say that, that, that having had an argument with someone, they, they've, they've said, hang on, hang on, you've belittled my arguments, you've shouted at me, you've shown literally no willingness to hear what I've got to say. 
can see that you're right, actually. It's, it's never happened, has it? That's not what we're going to. Rather, we're pointing people towards a greater kingdom where they can have reconciliation with God through the work of Jesus. This is the main message. And for clarity, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't highlight the immense joy that comes from knowing Jesus. Or this doesn't mean that we shouldn't stand firm in the truth of the gospel. Of course, it must remain central. And right now you might be thinking, but I am just no good at this stuff. The thought of telling somebody about Jesus, it makes my palms sweaty, I clam up, you know, I, I, I just... I'll be ridiculed and, and maybe you work in a place which is full of technically, scientifically minded people and they just won't listen. And you're kind of like, I, I, just, I just can't do that. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be ridiculed. And a couple of days ago, I was with a guy from work um, who is significantly senior to me. He's in kind of the, the chief executive level, so he's one of the top four or five people in the company. And, and, and we were talking um, about somebody that we, we both know, a, a mutual colleague, and... Um, he said, he said, oh, you know, he's, he's kind of a good guy, but uh, his biggest problem is he's one of those uh, fundamentalist Christian types. You know, he's, he's so crazy, he actually believes what it says in the Bible. Do you know what I said? Absolutely nothing. Out of guilt, I kind of later mumbled something about, oh, I go to church as well, but I didn't offer to elaborate. And do you know what this is? This is worldliness the pride of life, the desire not to be seen in a certain way by a certain person. It's sin, and I need to root it out. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that I should have launched into a 20-minute monologue about the implications of the cross or anything like that, but in that moment, I forgot who I am. In that moment, I forgot that I'm part of his kingdom. I'm not part of this world. And if I'd remembered these things, maybe I'd have at least considered what is the best thing to say, or even not to say, that is going to glorify Jesus. But I didn't do that. Okay, can you turn with me to Acts 4, uh, verse 13? It's a bit of a longer one, so we'll read it together. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now, kind of imagine this for a second, that you're, you're Peter or John, and you are stood before the people who had killed Jesus for claiming he was God. And they're telling you, stop claiming that Jesus is God. It'd be quite a motivation to kind of listen to what they've got to say. But incredibly, 
They didn't. Can you imagine the boldness, the courage it would take to do that? When they said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Clearly, they knew that they were part of a bigger kingdom. That worldly threats were of little to no consequence. Now, we have many excuses for why we lack boldness, why we lack courageousness. But that is all they are. They are lame excuses. Like Peter and John, we are called to be witnesses, not worldly. So why do we sometimes struggle with this? Why, when I was with my boss, did I really struggle with this? Well, not my boss, but several above my boss. Why did I struggle with this? But I think the answer is that we're trying to do this stuff in our own strength. We've got to remember that that not only are we citizens of God's kingdom, not only does that kind of change who we are, but actually it also gives us something. I'm just going to quickly read out two passages now, one from Matthew 28, verse 18, and then I'll read, I'll go straight into Acts 1, verse 8. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now to the passage in Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the age. Here we have, again, the, the, the call from Jesus to be witnesses, to make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them about him. And there's an incredible promise in both passages. In Matthew, I am with you always to the end of the age. And in Acts, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus dwells in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is true of you. He is with us to the end of the age. And by his Holy Spirit, we have power, the very same power that could raise Jesus from the dead. That's pretty huge. And if you're here this morning and you know that you struggle in living a life that aligns with what you say you believe, then you need to again, or maybe for the first time, be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning and for whatever reason you just, you just cannot tell people about Jesus, you get a blockage, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're here this morning and you struggle to see yourself as who you really are, as Jesus declares you to be, as we've looked at this last few weeks as a worshipper, as, a, as a, a child of God, as a servant of his, as a member of his family, if you struggle in any of these areas... You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're here this morning and, and something that you've heard or, or, or something that you've seen in, in, in hopefully your friends and family's life who are Christian, it, it witnesses to you that actually maybe, maybe Jesus is the answer to your needs, then you need to come to him. And you need to encounter him and you need to give your life over to him. And if you do this, you will cease to be a citizen of this world and you will become a citizen of his kingdom. And you too can be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand there now. Um, 
And if, if you're in any of these groups I've mentioned, and quite frankly, that would probably be most of us, um, then, then I'm going to pray. And uh, yeah, just, just pray along silently with me. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you first of all for your incredible, undeserved, unmerited grace towards us. And uh, I thank you, that, Lord, that despite our sins, despite our failings, despite everything that we do, Lord, that is, is contrary to your glory, I thank you that you love us. And I thank you that you have made a way for us into your new kingdom. And I pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters here today, and I pray, Lord, for myself, that you would again fill us with your spirit, that you would empower us to become what you have already made us to be, that by your spirit you would enable us to leave worldliness behind and that you'd help us to walk in a better kingdom, bringing others with us to you. And I pray, Lord, for those that struggle to worship you and those that are pulled back by lesser things, I pray, Father, for them that by your spirit that you would break the chains that would seek to bind us. And Lord, for those who struggle to see you as Father, and I expect there's, there's several here this morning, Lord, who, because of their experience of their own Father, maybe not as loving as you are, maybe not even present. I pray, Father, for an experience of you as Father by your Spirit. And Lord, for those who are ensconced in consumerism, which I suspect to an extent is most of us, I pray Father, that you would break our hearts instead for the lost, for the poor, and for the needy. And I pray, Father, that you would give us Jesus' heart to serve and to not be served. And Lord, I lift those to you who struggle to relate as family. Holy Spirit, for anybody here that feels on the outside, for anybody here that, that, that just feels as though that they're not part of, of, of this, this community, feels as though they're kind of just completely individual. I pray, Father, that they would find their assurance of worth in you. And I pray, Lord, that you would knit them into us as a community. And Holy Spirit, for anybody who doesn't know you, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. Lord, I pray that this morning you would open their eyes to the futility of, of all else but you. And I pray, Father, that you would open their hearts to receive you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill us. We pray that you would equip us. We pray that you would send us into the world as witnesses of your eternal glory. In Jesus' name.